Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about some news in the restaurant world and discuss a recent meal at a local restaurant of interest. To do that, I am joined by my co-host this week. She is a former commercial real estate developer and a marketing expert. Monica Dano, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, West African restaurant Chop and Block has claimed the former seafood connection space on Lower Restheimer for their first brick and mortar location. Chop and Block is a restaurant that talked about quite a bit. I think it is a currently a food hall or it's currently at the post-Houston food hall. It's one of the stands there. It has its roots as a pop-up. I've had Opie Amosu, its founder, on the show before. And Opie has been uh, quite the media darling over the last couple of years. He uh, he was a guest judge on for a quick fire on Top Chef. He uh, was featured by Marcus Samuelson on his show, No Passport Required. And he popped up on the second season of Padma Lakshmi's Hulu series, Taste of the Nation. Monica, I say all that to say to you, you know, Chop and Block. I mean, I know you've eaten there. What do you, what do you think about this move for, for Chop and Block and for Opie as they, they look to Montrose for their future? I think this is a great call for them. I, I met Opie eight, eight years ago or so when I first started developing real estate. And I'll tell you, out of the hundreds of chefs and operators that that I met over that time period... He has stood out to me as someone who has kind of the the passion part, but also, you know, the 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 smarts to kind of back up his business plan. I mean, he came around to developers probably seven or eight years ago with a full business plan with doing pop-ups. You know, he invited us to one of the pop-ups. And I've kind of been, we didn't end up doing a deal with him, obviously, but been kind of following his career and following what Chop and Box Blocks chosen to do. You know, I think when I heard they were going into the post, it was almost a flinch, like, uh, you need to do a brick and mortar first. But I will say, and I don't know if this is true today, I'm assuming it is, but about a year ago, I heard that they're like the second most sales grossing stall at post behind Gulf's Ramen, which is more of a full service restaurant in there. So to say they're the best selling um, uh, kiosk in there is no no small feat, right? And and I I'd heard right after that that he was working with our friend Jen Braverman on a design for his first brick and mortar, which I think was a great call as well. Beautiful. I haven't been there right yet to see the build out, but I saw the the designs um, last year and was really pumped about that. So I think the diversity from West African that he's providing to Houston, I think his just his personality and kind of his charm of uh, introducing people to this cuisine. I'm really, really excited about this opening this year. No, I, I agree with you. I share that excitement. It's, it's been such a, it's been such a journey for, for Opie. I mean, I remember, you know, going to a chop and block pop-up back in, I don't know, I want to say 2018 in the, in the community room of an apartment building, like in the Briar Grove area. And, yeah. and it was, it was all, it was all very new to me. You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience eating uh, West African food, it, the flavors, but as I have come to learn those dishes, you know, jollof rice and collard greens and, and the way they cook the meat, it all influenced 
Caribbean food, obviously, and then it, that influenced Southern food. And so, you know, there's this line, you know, this sort of culinary heritage from jollof rice to jambalaya. And so it's not, it's not that unusual if you grew up in the South and you sort of understand soul food and Southern food, if you have some experience, some familiarity with those, with those kind of dishes, it all makes sense. And I think that's been the real key for chopping block is that it is different. I mean, it is a very distinct cuisine and, and Opie is very devoted to, to sharing the flavors and the, and the culture of uh, Nigeria and other West African countries with his customers. But at the same time, it's presented in, in this kind of fast, casual Chipotle style format that's very approachable. And it's been a really, as you said, it's been a really winning formula, you know, at the post, every time I've been in there, he's had a line, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people eating trad bowls and greens and tings and sipping that golden uh, bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Sipping, sipping that hibiscus lemonade. So the idea is that you can take all of that, all of these, these proven dishes and expand on that. And, you know, they used to do brunch pop-ups. They haven't been able to do that at the post. So at the restaurant, they'll be able to do brunch on the weekends. Uh, they'll be able to do cocktails and beer and wine uh, with a nod towards African spirits and, and drinks that are popular in West Africa. And, and as you said, they're working with Jim Braverman on the design. You know, it's going to have all these African textiles and, and African items on the walls, and it's going to be a real cultural learning experience for people. But in a, and again, in that very approachable, uh, very accessible way. And so, you know, you don't have to have, you, you don't have to be West African to want to eat this food and, and go to this restaurant. And that's been the big, uh, that's been the big secret of Chopped Block success, I think. Yeah. And I think in hindsight, probably opening at the post was a really smart move for them um, to just garnish some uh, attention over the past couple of years, let people eat the food on a small scale, and then really hype that up to be ready for a brick and mortar. You know, I wonder if they just would have went straight to brick and mortar, if it would have been as successful as really kind of teasing the food um, in a smaller space and then now kind of going. So I think that's a good move for them. You know, like you said, and like I've said, I mean, just the passion with which Opie presents his concept and the food. It's 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 contagious and it's energizing. And, and like I said, just he really sticks out to me as, you know, a very passionate operator who, you know, money where his mouth is, right? I mean, it's like he um, said what he's going to do, very confident when he came to us seven years ago. And he it was kind of like, yeah, with or without y'all, I'm going to do this. And I was like, cool, dude. <laughs> yeah, like uh, do it. I'm, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Um, so I, yeah, know. I mean, I mean, he'll tell you, this has always been the plan, you know, yeah, no, and it's getting, worked. getting to a restaurant has always been the plan and then getting this restaurant dialed in and then doing a whole bunch more of them, not just in Houston, but in cities beyond Houston, uh, that's always been the vision. And so to see him kind of taking that next step, uh, and to know that it's, it's this, it's a good location. It's right there on lower Westheimer. Uh, it's going to look beautiful. I think this is going to be a big hit. Yeah, I think also what better city than Houston to do this in where we've really embraced this cultural cuisine, where it can be a full service restaurant with its own brick and mortar. I think maybe other cities it's harder to um, maybe you have a, a tasting room where you're tasting small things of these different cultures. What a great place to do this in and, and good for him. I'm excited and I can't wait to try it. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to topic number two. Great Plate Hospitality, the company behind the Union Kitchen Jack's Grill and Passarella has opened Vine Memorial, 
a new retail shop and wine bar with about 200 selections and two dozen wines by the glass. Monica, I feel like we're going to be talking about Memorial a lot this year. I think we, you know, Mary and I talked about it last week. And so let me just ask you, I mean, what do you, what do you think about, well, start with, start with Vine Memorial. I mean, there's not a lot of wine bars in the Memorial area. I, I feel like this is, uh, I feel like this is the right move for, for Great Plate. Yeah. I kind of always think of Paul and Great Plate as this elevated neighborhood concepts, right? It's not fine dining. It's not, you know, counter service. He really fits into this. And I would put kind of Benji Levitt in that group where they're really catering to a neighborhood crowd, not necessarily a destination that they're going to drive to. It's the people that live in the neighborhood and it's elevated, right? It's not casual, but it's casual enough. Um, So I think they've just kind of nailed with all their concepts. That's really what I feel, um, you know, with all the union kitchens. I mean, even the one here in Oak Forest has been very strong in the neighborhood. One of the first kind of full service restaurants that we got here. As far as Memorial, you know, obviously uh, that's one of the most expensive zip codes in the state to live in. Uh, Property is expensive. So you mentioned Spring Branch, and one of the reasons we decided to start buying in Spring Branch from a retail perspective is we saw a lot of that development coming, and you've almost got I-10 being that like line of demarcation, right? You've got North Memorial, NOMO, you got South Memorial, right? And I'll tell you, developers like us really were, as we were marketing those Spring Branch properties, you know, Spring Branch hasn't historically been a, a higher income um uh, neighborhood. We, we really were leaning on that kind of memorial crowd coming across I-10 um, to populate a lot of those spaces. And it's happening and we're seeing it happen. I think that because of the lack of affordable real estate um, uh, south of I-10, I think that's why we haven't seen a lot of restaurants, kind of bigger scale restaurants make it there. I mean, it's, it's got to be either super high end or you know, in a strip center, you know, subway type thing. So I'm excited to see this happen over there. I think some cool operators are starting to do some stuff over there. I do think that, you know, looking at kind of North um, Nomo, let's call it again, uh, Spring Branch, really, this is a historic neighborhood in, in Houston, really does kind of rely on a lot of those memorial kind of crowds, kind of new money versus the old memorial money, right? So I'm excited. You know, I think specifically for for Paul, he knows the neighborhoods he works in. He's in lots of neighborhoods in the city, and they just do a really good job at at catering to what that neighborhood needs. Yeah, no, I I think that's all well said. I think Paul has a union kitchen location on Memorial Drive, sort of between uh, Gester and the Beltway. That's been it was the second location of the union kitchen. It's been very successful. He told me he just renewed that lease for another five years and that, you know, this location, Vine Memorial, uh, was Memorial Wine Cellar for a long time. And he and his dad, who's his uh, his advisor, one of his investors, used to meet there all the time to, to talk about uh, plans for growing the company and where they were going to open their next location and all that. So, you know, he has a, a real affinity for this particular location. And it, it, not to understate it, but, you know, you talk about Union Kitchen being approachable from a menu perspective, that really diverse menu, it's also very approachable from a wine perspective. Wine has always been a key part of their offering. It's priced well. It's got a diverse list. Paul and his wife, Doris, have a real passion for wine. And they worked with Guy Stout, who's a master sommelier, to kind of put this inventory together and get, you know, a broad enough representation of 
the big names, you know, Paul's very proud. His, he said he's got Camus on the wall cheaper than you can get it at spec. So he's very proud of that. But, but also some, uh, some more obscure, a little hipper, a few hipper selections. I don't, I don't know. It's going to be like, you know, I don't know. There's going to be a whole lot of natural wine on the vine inventory, but, but he's also open to THC and, and CBD beverages. He's open to having cool. some craft beer, some NA yeah. options. So, uh, I think it's it's aiming to serve a really diverse crowd, and and I, I don't think there's a ton of spaces like this in the Memorial area, and I think I think people are really going to enjoy it. Yeah, I think I, he'll do the right thing by the neighborhood, and you know he's really good at kind of adapting that. So, looking forward to that, and I'm sure that neighborhood is too. Absolutely. All right, and then topic number three, you were not able to join us for our year in review episode, so I wanted to give you your opportunity to weigh in. Yeah. Appreciate on a couple that. of the topics we discussed. So, Monica Dana, what were a couple of your favorite new restaurants of 2023? You know, I'll have to start with what several listeners of the podcast have told me. We get it, Monica. You like Andiron. <laughs> and I think <laughs> on probably four episodes. And I did. It was such a memorable meal. And maybe because it was your birthday meal and the company was great. And we had pre-selected some, some things to try and um, obviously Mary was a big part of that, but, you know, memorable meals overall, that was probably one of my most memorable meals last year. And, and I was just really impressed with, with Andiron. And so can't not mention them. You know, I think another one, June, um, you know, even though, you know, that I think the menu is, uh, type is way too small for anyone over 40, <laughs> that aside, just the inventive things that Evelyn's doing with her team, you know, this is long overdue. She's been cooking and, and pop-ups and been in spaces and kind of had some bad luck with some spaces kind of closing. And I'm really happy to see she ended up in the Heights. First of all, I think it's a great location for this concept. Very date nighty, very dark in there, great textures, um, you know, had a great meal there probably towards the end of the year. It took me a while to get over there. Um, but I think we, you can't mention 2023 without without mentioning June. Um, you know, we went to Nono's and I, you know, I feel like obviously it's not a fine dining. It's not really that chef driven, right? It's a family restaurant in the middle of Montrose. That's just fun. The food's good. There's video games in there for kids. The decor is beautiful. So I definitely wanted to mention Nono's. You know, we had a great meal there and Hadn't been back yet, mainly because it's just far away from a house, but do plan it. And I also, you know, just like you, Eric, people ask me now all the time too, where should I go? Someone's in town, my family, blah, blah, blah. I mentioned no-nos a lot. And so I kind of, they're, they're, they're top of mind for me, but also I feel like, you know, last year was kind of the, even though it was the year of Italian in, in Houston, it was also kind of the year of this like oyster bar right? we got Clark's and Josephine's and Little's and, you know, that just kind of exploded last year. And, and look, champagne and oysters are my favorite thing to have on a patio. So, you know, visiting those locations last year and really being able to have that experience felt really good in Houston. I mean, Clark's, look, they knocked it out of the park. It's a gas station, right? And it's a beautiful space. Um, definitely uh, bring your checkbook because it's not inexpensive, <laughs> which is the first thing everyone tells me when they visit. Wow, that bill. But you know what? I mean, this isn't an this isn't an every week you know, visit, right? Um, I think they it's beautiful on the inside. They've done a good job with the patio, even though you're on on a busy street, you know. So I think really those, and, and I feel like I can't not mention Katami. I haven't been yet, but just kind of seeing what people have said from going by there, um, really just hearing all the stuff that Seth's working on, which obviously he's got a lot working on this year too. But I think that's somewhere that I definitely need to get to very soon. 
yeah, you covered several of the places that we talked about in the year in review episode. I mean, what's happened with Nono since that Esquire article, you know, they, they didn't make Esquire's list of best new restaurants. It's kind of a, a sidebar. They called it the pizza joint of the year, uh, but it got picked up locally. You know, we certainly wrote about it and other outlets picked it up too. It's, it's just taking them to another level uh, in terms of notoriety. And, and I saw, I saw on somebody's Instagram feed that they had a line out the door you know, for opening recently that, that people are just so excited about uh, getting in there and I follow them on Instagram. I know they've been nice that they've closed early because they've sold out a dough. So what, what Martin and Sarah Steyer have achieved with, with that pizzeria has just been really impressive. And, and, you know, I haven't, I've only been to Nono's a couple of times I've enjoyed it, but uh, in some ways it just feels like they're doing so well. I've, I've sort of been bouncing around other places, but I, I would like to get back there pretty soon. And then last thing, and we'll wrap up this segment. Uh, what are you, you know, we just talked about chopping block. What else are you looking forward to in 2024? Yeah, I mentioned, I mentioned Seth Siegel Gardner with his work with Katami, you know, this, this Maximo canteen concept with Tony and Benji is very, you know, interesting to me. I know that Seth lives in that area. And so he knows that neighborhood. Um, yeah. I think those three personalities together are going to be really interesting um obviously chopping block i mean i think i've got that on my list for this year um excited to see the space obviously i know the food's great would love to see the space and how that's executed more as a full service concept um nickel city right i mean i think this is one of those things that you know we like to be better than austin in a lot of ways but look they they uh they they got something right with that so i think it's going to be a cool kind of space here i hope it doesn't become too too trendy um, yeah, I think I think of Nickel City as kind of Austin's BLT. You know, it's 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 got great drinks, but it's a, it's very casual. It's you know, um, so I'm excited to see that. You know, Sean Gall's new space, which is in a former space that I helped develop, and I thought he had a name for that. You know, I was looking back in your article. I think camaraderie. Well, there is there is a name. I, I yeah, he's been calling it. I, I think it's called camaraderie. I hadn't confirmed with Sean that that's. I think that's the name, but I hadn't confirmed it directly with Sean, so I I held off. Just because he hasn't, because he hasn't said it yet, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to be the one to report that and, and stick and look, my neck out in front of him. I mean, I think I saw the pitch deck two years ago, and it was camaraderie when they came to us about the space. Um, look, super nice guy, Sean, talented chef. Um, obviously, coming out of that Good Night Charlie group, you know, you and I attended a a pop up that um, at T Rex. Yeah, like is- a little a little <laughs> teaser dinner for uh, investors and and real estate people. Yeah. So was really excited about that. I mean, we were, we didn't go together, but we sat right next to each other separately. Um, that was a fun night. So I've, I've really kind of kept that in my mind. And, you know, after I kind of left real estate, I was listening for him, maybe popping up somewhere. So I'm, I'm glad I'm excited to see that space, obviously. And then gosh, Benberg, I mean, <laughs> is there anything this guy cannot do? Um, it's like everything he touches turns to gold. And I think he's like one of those, like soul to soul to the devil. <laughs> and it's great, right? It's just like everything he does is great. Great ideas. Awesome execution. Look, this, this restaurant tour has surrounded himself with incredible staff, people, executives. Um, I'm excited about Turner's cut. Love, love going to Turner's, but would love to kind of, you know, cut that out and head over to Turner's cut to, to see what this is like. But, um, well, the last time the last time I talked to Ben, he said Prime One Thirty One, which is the live fire concept in Lazy Brook Timber Grove, is going to be. It's, it's like the the seating is sort of tiered, and it's all going to look towards the kitchen. 
uh, where you're going to have these guys cooking on live fire. That should be a real sight to see. That's the one that he sounded really excited about. And and honestly, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of excited for uh, buttermilk baby. Not not that we don't have plenty of places to get burgers, but but I have very fond memories of visiting relatives in New York and getting Carvel ice cream. So I'm I'm all about I'm all about that. I think that's going to be a really nice addition to uh, the Heights. Yeah, no, he, I, I, I can't even keep up with all the things he's opening, but um, long list this year, right? So excited. Yeah. We, I think we should do like a, a bird crawl. <laughs> we try to hit every one of his restaurants. And- <laughs> it's getting harder and harder. Right? There's, there's, uh, you know, there's 10 of them already and, and more on the way. So. Uh, yeah, so excited for that. So, so much to be excited about this year. You know, I know you had the 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 infamous 70 plus restaurant list um, post that came out last year and that everyone's been talking about. It's, it's true. I read through it again this morning just to prep and wow, like Houston food this year, you guys, like every year I feel like since COVID, it's just grown and grown. And this is like, whoa, what is this going to do to our existing favorites, right? What is, what is this going to do to our old favorites. We've talked about this, right? You know, I mean, places that I frequent often, La Lucha, Super Rica, um, these sort of places that are kind of the darlings of the neighborhood, um, you know, they, they're going to absorb some of this, but we'll see who sticks around and, and who doesn't. Right. I think, I think that's exactly it. It's that, that list of 70 is, is sort of ambitious, right? Not all of them will make it this year. Some of them will catch fire and be really successful. Some of them will struggle and probably not last very long. And and they, but they will put pressure on existing restaurants and people have to choose. Everybody's budget is, can only accommodate so many meals. So old, old favorites have to step their game up to, to keep people's interest. The new favorites have to launch very quickly and, and have a good, you know, present themselves very well, like right from the beginning to get people's attention. And it'll, it'll be tricky, but, but at the same time, people keep moving here. So you've got that going on. And, 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 you know, the other aspect is that, People are pushing into these neighborhoods that have been historically underserved. That's why we're talking about Memorial so much with Vine, with Bar Bluedorn, with Credence, with everything else that's coming, uh, you know, via 313 and the second location of the pit room and all that stuff. It's like, okay, right? We Montrose, Montrose and the Heights may be, may be pretty full, but there are other parts of the city that are that are looking for more and better options. And uh, that's that's what restaurateurs are going to do. I think you nailed it in that a lot of these new restaurants that are competing for just a, a, a piece of the market, right? You've got people going out, you know, most nights of the week, but let's say Thursday through Saturday, we've got choices. And if you go to a place, which we went to recently, that really didn't hit on all cylinders the first visit. Um, we weren't excited about returning. Look, you've lost me. There's just way too many more options to try out new before I'm going to go return to that visit. So I think that's really where the pressure lies is on these new spaces. If you've got a day one, come out the gate shining. We, we say this all the time, you know, with restaurant of the week, would you go back? You know, and I, you know, there's some places I went to last year that I'd love to go back, but you know, maybe there's new things that have come popped up that I'm more excited about than returning there. So I think that's really where we're going to see Hopefully, you know, in the past, you open a new restaurant and there wasn't 70 new restaurants, but, you know, maybe not have the best experience first visit. You give them some leeway. Maybe they're just opening. It's a soft open. We'll try them again. But now it's like, guys, you got to hit from the beginning. So I think I think some training is going to be really key. And a lot of these new openings is your staff better be ready. Your kitchen better be ready. 
Absolutely. All right. Monica, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Monica, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about two new Mexican restaurants. Let's start with Belly of the Beast. This is uh, Chef Thomas Billy. We know him from the original Belly of the Beast location in Old Town Spring and also his time at Chivos in the Heights. He has revived Belly of the Beast. He has moved it to a new location in Spring, uh, 2920, west of I-45. You know, from, from my perspective, this is very much not a not a part of town that I I know a whole lot about, but uh, it's sort of it's sort of south of the woodlands. It's it's not far from uh, the city place development. It's it's sort of in that general somewhere in the in the generic you know somewhere between Spring and Tomball. That is where Belly of the Beast is. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say we had a pretty good dinner at, at Belly of the Beast. What do you think? I agree. I liked everything we had, you know, a couple of small things that we both mentioned, but other than that, um, you know, you and I have both had Thomas's food multiple times. So I don't think this, we were surprised at how good everything we had was lots of new things on the menu, including the pastas, which was one of, I think our favorite things, but yeah, I was very excited when I learned that they were going to go back to their own, you know, brick and mortar. I had visited old town spring years ago and we talked with Thomas and, and Elizabeth, his wife, and and by the way, like two of the nicest people, right, in the industry. I mean, both of them just kind of family oriented. Their kids are in the restaurant. They work really hard. They live in that area. So I think with their, you know, the the audience that they garnished while they were in Old Town Spring, you know, and they said to us, right, they're back, right? They're they're coming back. They're excited. We're back in the neighborhood. Um, you know, when he did the stint. Um, you know, in the Heights, uh, and that didn't last too long, but I think I was excited to hear he was going there to Chivas, but then that didn't last long. And so, you know, just excited for them as people to get back doing their own thing, what they want to do. I think that's right. You sort of talk about that family focus. I mean, you know, they're only open four nights a week, uh, 5 PM to 9 PM. So four hours. So, you know, it, it just doesn't feel like a ton of opportunities for people to get there, but you know, we were there on a Wednesday night. They had a good crowd. Uh, we got there at seven. The restaurant was pretty full, but you know, they don't, you know, it's an early crowd, right? They don't, they don't get that second turn. So it's kind of, it's kind of go early and and leave early. And at, at the original belly of the beast, it was very much kind of an elevated taqueria with, with some raw dishes. That was uh, what was really compelling. I, I think what I like about this new version of it is how much broader the menu is. Yes. You still got yeah. wonderful ceviches and we had a really excellent tuna tostada but there's pastas now there's you know we had a lamb shank with mole uh there's a there's a really hearty wagyu zabaton with potatoes and mushrooms that that i had on a previous visit that i really enjoyed so you know he's he's kind of expanded the menu he's brought some of the shareables from the the chivos days back in in a new form like the pozole dumplings Mm -hmm. uh that we had so yeah there's a lot to like here yeah. And I, you know, we, we, we met there, right. We, we walked in my first impression was, wow, this space looks great. You know, it's, it's in a strip center, which, you know, it can get a, a reputation of a restaurant, a strip center. Um, but you walk in and it just struck me. The lighting was really beautiful. They had done really a good job of making you feel like you weren't in a strip center. 
um, which I appreciate. I mean, the experience and the ambiance is very important to me in dining. It was a little dark in there, date 90, not too dark, which is good. Seats were comfortable, um, you know, small-ish space, but I like that. I like the the closeness I felt um, really kind of cozy in there. So that really surprised me. You know, I was kind of expecting to be up near spring in a strip center, but no, that they did a great job with really making that space feel warm. And, and you're right, I think because they really don't have a time for that second turn, and maybe they do on a Friday or Saturday, people are dining later, but from a real estate perspective, I think when you choose to go in a maybe a lower cost space, you can do things like that. You don't have to be open five, six nights a week to make rent. You don't have to have three turns a night, right? So that pressure is off from that. So I, I remember when I heard they were going there, I was kind of like, oh, I wish they would have opened in town, but I get it, right? It's it's way more expensive to build out a space in the city versus where they're at. They live out there. Their restaurant was out there before. It makes a lot of sense to me. I do worry about the location for a consistent, ongoing Houston crowd, right? An in-city. I mean, this isn't somewhere we're going to go monthly, right? Maybe not every six months. I We talked about last time that every time I share stuff on Instagram while we're dining, I kind of judged by how many comments I get. Lots of comments from the pictures I was posting when we went on Wednesday, Um almost everyone said, wow, but that's really far, <laughs> you know? And I, my, my response was come out, give it a try, you know, go try it. We're not going to be going out there, you know, weekly. Um, but people are aware of the distance. Yeah. You know, I, I will say in regards to that, when I drove home to, to my house, Southeast of downtown, it was about 35 minutes and, and I can kind of live with that. Right. It's, it's that, it's that drive in rush hour traffic yeah. from the inner loop to spring that's going to take you 45 minutes or an hour. That's a little bit of a tough sell. So, you know, if they were open on Sundays, it would be a little easier from, from an inner looper perspective. You want to kind of minimize your risk of traffic. They're really, you, you're really kind of locked into Saturday night. And so, you know, I was happy that Thomas was talking about adding brunch service because that would make things a lot easier, right? If I could go, Saturday morning or Sunday morning and have part of the experience in an earlier time of day, the drive would be a little easier and that would make it a little more approachable uh, for interloopers. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, we had a really outstanding dinner and, and yeah. I was really that, that squidding tagliatelle yeah, that was my uh, with the mushrooms and the chorizo, kind of his version of a kind of a, a carbonara, the squash mezzaluna. I liked the lamb shank quite a bit. I thought that tuna tostada was really outstanding. The empanadas were were crispy and cheesy, and he serves them with a little bit of caviar, which is kind of a nice touch, a luxury touch. I I would say like if you're if you're interested in elevated Mexican cuisine, if you're going to Tetemo, if you if you like Hugo Ortega's restaurants, this is worth the drive. And and so no, it probably isn't a monthly option for me, although. I have now been there each of the last two months. <laughs> so, you know, maybe it is, but interloopers that are listening to this and are like, oh man, that's a long, you know, I don't want to do 45 minutes in, in traffic to go to dinner. I, I mean, I'm telling you, you should. Yeah, no, try it out for sure. I mean, food wasn't fantastic. You know, Thomas, lots of, uh, you know, homemade from scratch items. His mom makes the tortillas, which were excellent, which 
you know, you described me your, um, your, your scale of liking tortillas. If you can ball it up in your fist and it opens back up, that's a good, good corn tortilla, right? Yeah. It's got to maintain its structural integrity, right? That's yeah. the, the Matt Harris scale of uh, tortilla <laughs> assessment. I like that. No, food was great. I I'm excited for them to be in their space. I think a good move for them would be to really, um, you know, the, the neighborhood around them, the people that were going to Old Town Spring to Old Location, you know, really get some strong ties with that neighborhood group and um, and they're going to do great. Absolutely. All right. And then just briefly, I want to talk to you about Mi Tierra Mexican Kitchen. You're going to have to help me. I'm not quite sure what to call this neighborhood. It's uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's outside the loop. West Oak Forest. It's technically part of Oak Forest that goes all the way to 290. So it's Tacoma. If you know where uh, Del Mar Lanes is, the bowling alley that's been there for 60 years that I grew up going to, it's right kind of across the street from Del Mar in an old Pizza Hut um, in a, uh, on a, you know, on a corner with a cash, cash checking and a uh, place and, you know, not, not the most elevated shopping center, but yeah, I would say West Oak Forest. So it's a it's a Tex-Mex restaurant in West Oak Forest from Chef Martin Weaver, who people may know from his time at Coup or Brennan's more recently. He's been involved with uh, some of the food halls around town. He was, you know, helping out at at Bravery and Railway Heights for a little while. And his serious I, girlfriend is, is maybe a little bit too casual a word, but they're they're not partner. married. So yeah. partner, Kate Mancia. And they've created this kind of little neighborhoody. Tex-Mex joint. Monica, what did you think about your meal at Mi Tierra Mexican Kitchen? You know what? I'm so glad we're talking about this. Um, I really loved the food. It was fantastic. Um, this is my neighborhood or very close to my neighborhood. Lots of talk in the Oak Forest Garden Oaks um, neighborhood, page, neighborhood Facebook pages right about this place. I will say the experience was a little odd because they had just opened. It was, a, it was right the day after Christmas. So dare we go to a restaurant? They were out of a lot of things. There was some, there was some service issues, but look out of the, the issues that we had on those sides and me still very excited about going back to eat this food. I mean, that's a win in my book. The food was fantastic. You know, smoked chicken, pork, uh, tostadas. I mean, pork belly tostadas. Um, at one point, I think I got the wrong combo delivered to me. He came out, apologized. We chatted. But no, I, I'll i tell you, and you mentioned this when we were talking about this, but the you know, Heights Foodie Group, which is so influential in this city, is on to this, right? I mean, they're looking past. You've got people that will come and complain maybe about a service issue since they just opened. And then you've got 10x fold people coming in and defending. So I love seeing that. I love that the food is shining through some of these operational issues that they're figuring out. I think you mentioned you went in there and maybe it was a cold day and the heat, there was an issue with the heat. Like if we're looking past those things and we're still recommending people to go back there, that's a big win in my book. You know, I went, I think I told you I went with my family. Well, my Son and my son's dad, who, you know, can tend to be a pretty uh, brutal, love it or hate it, has a bad experience, will never go back. He loved it and he's excited to go back. So that's kind of my, the Joey scale of <laughs> you like a place, you're going to go back. That's let's do it, you know? Yeah. I do kind of want to follow up on all of that. I, I think the restaurant as a, as a business feels like a little bit of a work in progress, right? We had a, a a friendly but very inexperienced server who didn't really know the menu and was kind of struggling to use that toast handheld tab 
you know, I almost wanted to be like, just, just hand it to me. I'll, I know I what I want. I'll punch it in. I got it. Or yeah. let me, let me order it through my phone and, and I'll, I'll send the order to the kitchen. Right. Like, <laughs> but you know, there's not really a lot of decor to speak of. It, it feels like it was kind of opened on a shoestring and it was physically, it was a cold night and it was physically cold in the restaurant, which was a little bit uncomfortable, but you know, you kind of have to look past all that. You kind of have to, you kind of have to just judge it by the food, which when the food is relatively affordable, you know, when enchilada plates are in the teens and, and even the medium order of fajitas, I think was like 25 or 26 bucks. And it's, it's, you know, outside skirt steak and, and it's cooked properly and seasoned well. I can kind of look past some of that stuff. I'm not, I'm not paying, you know, yeah. El Tiempo prices or Papacito or Candente prices. That makes it a little more approachable. And and there was a lot to like about what we ate. You know, I enjoyed the ceviche. I enjoyed the duck mole. Pork belly tostada didn't work as much for me. I mean, I want that, I want that pork belly kind of crispy and it was kind of chewy and fatty. Mm. Uh, so that kind of missed for me. But the pastor tacos were a big winner. And the seafood enchiladas, he he puts a he puts a little bit of mushroom in there. It's kind of a strange texture, but the umami from the mushrooms really balances, like plays very nicely with the seafood, complements it very well. And Kate's a pretty talented bartender. You know, I had a, a spicy mango uh, margarita with mezcal. Like, yeah, I, I had a great I think, margarita. I can, I, can get down, I can get down with that. You know, I, I like the cocktails. I like I like how affordable the menu is. And, and I've known Martin for a really long time. And he's he's such a friendly guy. He's really easy to root for. So I'm willing to kind of overlook some of the the bumps in the road and just trust that they'll get the rest of it dialed in here pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely felt still kind of a soft opening period when we were there. Not a lot of other tables, but again, it was the day after Christmas. A lot of his food didn't come in. We were trying to get the ceviche and the seafood enchiladas. There wasn't fish available for that. So, um, but I'm excited to go back. I'm glad. I'm glad you had a good experience too. Um, my neighborhood's very excited um, to to return as well. Uh, talk of the town. So good for them. Um, I hope they do well there. Yeah, I have a I have a bit of a mixed track record following the advice of the Heights Foodie Group, but uh, <laughs> this one this one worked out just fine. I feel like they're about to like incorporate and have like bylaws and presidents and they're, they're <laughs> <laughs> getting a little our, big for <laughs> All right, Monica, I'm going to say that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening. That's it for today's show. Join me on Thursday when my guest will be Morgan Weber from Agricole Hospitality.